welcome to season three of Gill Athletics Connection Podcast. If this is your first time here, we're so excited you hit the play button today. If you like what you hear, check out our library of hundreds of past guests that is sure to give you value. For everyone else, we're so happy you've come back. Quick favor, if you haven't already, consider taking a minute to rate and review the podcast. This simple act helps amplify these amazing stories, and we just love to hear your feedback. Heck, we may even read it out loud in a future episode. Okay, that's enough of an intro, right? Let's get to it. See what today's guest has in store for us. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so humbled to be your host here, Mike Cunningham, National Sales Manager for Gill Athletics. And today I've got a fun one. Uh, I just I can just tell during our pre-interview, I just knew already this is going to be a great one. So buckle up and uh, help me welcome from Albuquerque Academy in the great state of New Mexico. I've had a lot of great memories there and a lot of great memories in Albuquerque specifically. Help me welcome the head coach of Albuquerque Academy, the wise, the wonderful Mr. Adam Kedge. Adam, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me today. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you see this, uh, this vision board, this brag board, he's got a lot of great things behind him. I bet this is going to come up in our conversation. So I'm excited to, uh, to find out more uh, about it here. So, uh, how, how long have you been in Albuquerque? I, I, we've been there several times for USATF indoors and NCs. And it's, it's kind of a, for me, like a little hidden gym town in this country that a lot of people don't think about. Yeah. We don't want you coming anymore. We want to, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I, I, Attended the University of New Mexico as a freshman in college in uh, the fall of 1983, and pretty much have never left since then. And so, yeah. whatever that equates to be, what is that? 40? A long time. Almost I, I, 40 years. Yeah. yeah. Almost 40 years. I'm, I'm from Alabama, so I don't do math real well. So it just means a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful, man. I love it there, and uh, have made good friends from having visit there. You know routinely for about once a year for quite a while with all the championships and stuff that uh university of mexico has and then uh you know joe good friend of mine there now is the head coach so adam let's get started here on your journey we're here to just kind of lift uplift and honor what you've done here as a coach where does coaching begin for you in regards to when did it become like oh yeah this could actually be a career for me uh you know and when i was in college after a year or so I found myself just heading to practice like an hour and a half early, sitting in coach's office. Uh, I was coached by, and I don't know if this name rings a bell. I know you've been around track and field for a long, long time. I was coached by Del Hessel at the time, and he was the head coach at the University of New Mexico. And, and I found myself just heading to practice at, you know, two o'clock for a 3.30 practice every afternoon, sit in his office and just kind of listen to him interact with, you know, my fellow teammates you know, people going through whatever injury issues, health issues, motivation, you know, what's the next race, what's coming up. And I was just soaking it all in. And I thought to myself, you know, why am I doing this? You know, practice is not for another hour. It's not for another hour and a half. Um, and at that point, it really, you know, and I won't say I was inspired necessarily by him, but just by the process of the whole thing and how cool I thought it was one cool for me and honored for me just to be on a university track team and be contributing to a track team, to have great teammates and a coach and just see them all interact. And I thought to myself, you know, this might be my path and uh, started studying education in college. And it just all snowballed from there, became a science teacher and, you know. What, what were you initially in school for and, and what uh, kind of events did you do there for New Mexico? Honestly, I was in school to be eligible to run on the track team for a while. A lot of people <laughs> yeah. right now are like raising their hand, like, yeah, that yeah. sounds familiar. Yeah. 
and and I'm not ashamed to say that I think that you know one of the great things about athletics is that you do need to keep your life and your academics in order and in order you know in order to be a competitor you need to go to bed early and you know generally wake up early and do things right and study hard and eat right and stay away from drugs and alcohol you know all those types of things and so initially I went to the university because yeah sure I wanted to learn but I, I was 18 you know I just you know, thought, hey, it'd be cool to run on the track team. You know, that would be really, really cool. And ultimately, I found my path. I was, you know, fairly strong runner, like physical strength wise, uh, but a distance runner with not crazy, crazy speed. So I wound up being a steeplechaser. Nice. Team. So that, that, that's yeah. easily my favorite yeah. distance race. So yeah, ran steeplechase, ran some 800s, ran all the way to 10,000. Uh, but mostly, you know, I you know, cut my teeth in the steeplechase. And that's where I found some of my success, not at national caliber level, you know, more conference caliber, uh, yeah. runner up at the Western athletic conference a couple of times. Um, at the time we didn't have, you know, in the eighties, we didn't have regionals and, and nationals, but to me, that was a little far off. You know, yeah. so. Well, I, I think that's important because, you know, sometimes when I'm going to say kids, you know, young people and they're thinking about coaching and think, well, if, I, if I'm not a very good athlete, I can't be a coach. And let me stop that myth right now, because uh, go through and look at not, not only, you know, a, a lot of the top coaches, whatever, however you define that, uh, whether it's state meet championship t uh, coaches in high school or NCAA champions in AI, etc. Uh, I'm sorry, there aren't enough good athletes to become coaches. So most of us were pretty mediocre <laughs> if, if maybe above to below average even so that makes that makes a lot of sense yeah i contributed you know yeah. and i'm proud of my accomplishments and what i yeah. did um but uh, like i said i wasn't national caliber right uh, and that doesn't mean that i couldn't coach and yeah. couldn't teach and i find you know i'm still to this day doing the same thing I love that vision of you going to Coach Hessel's office an hour early just to listen, like not even like for like to pepper his brain, which you probably did ask lots of questions. If you're smart enough, you ask that man a lot of questions. That's a legend coach, right? Um, but I, I, I thought about like on the athletic side, we talk about gym rats. Uh, and on the track side, we talk about decathletes. Like if you're going to be a decathlete, you've you got to be a gym rat. You just always got to be working on some certain part of your craft. You kind of described like, uh, I don't know if I've ever said this word out loud, but an office rat. Like you were like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go to the office and, and learn and watch and observe. Yeah. And he let me sit there and he let me sit there and kids would come in. Like I said, sometimes it's what's the workout today, coach. Other times it was personal problems. And, you know, if they weren't, you know, too bad, he just let me sit there and he wouldn't ask me to leave. And I, I just soaked it all up and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed when he would talk technique, when he talked workouts, when he just visit, you know, we'd just visit with people, you know? So, um, that's probably where I got started as far as coaching. I was an athlete, you know, I was a high school athlete before that. I was a middle school athlete. My, my siblings were, were runners, you know, none of us were super duper fast, but I got involved that way. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, a year or two into college is when I really decided that this might be my path and who knew where it would take me. So what did you do? Did you change majors? How did you start focusing on that path for coaching? Yeah, I, I always knew that I wanted to do something relative to science. I didn't know if I wanted to be a meteorologist or a geographer or a geologist or something like that. And so I thought, well, if I can get a degree in education and get certified in education, I could still, I could combine both of them. And I've been a science teacher all my life. This is my 33rd year of teaching. Um, this is my 33rd year of coaching. Um, I like to tell people that I've been doing the same thing since grade six, since sixth grade, I've been going to school all day, going to practice every afternoon, and then going to track meets and cross country meets on the weekends. 
And that's been the same. It's been a constant since I've been 11 years old. So 57 minus 11, whatever that works out to be. Like you say, you're from Alabama. You're not good at math. So a lot. You. So a lot, yes. What, is sixth grade when you started track? Because you mentioned since sixth grade, or I'm very fearful what fifth grade looked like if you didn't have track and cross country in your, your Yeah, sixth grade's <laughs> when we had a couple of track meets and a couple of cross country meets. I know we just ran around a couple of fields and, right. you know, I can remember the kids that were in front of me and, and you know, a couple that were behind me, but, you know, I was middle front and it just took off from there. See, when I ran, I was back, back. that's where i'm at now yeah yeah, exactly when uh as you're going in and observing coach hessel and asking him lots of questions things like that and you really started honing in like okay like okay here's my path i want to be a coach and and a teacher did he see that and and try to amplify that like was there more of like oh well maybe i should have adam try this or do this or be involved in this part that maybe i want to say a normal student athlete wouldn't have been involved Maybe he did. I do know this, that um, one time right before conference, uh, the kids were out. I say the kids, my fellow teammates, we were kids at the time now, but I guess we were men back then because we were, you know, 19, 20, 21. We were men back then, but to me, that's now kids. Right. The kids were out horsing around on the field, playing with a, a rugby ball like the week before conference. And um, there was probably 25 of us out there and he comes out of his office yelling and screaming my name for some reason. And so maybe at that point he realized that, yeah, Adam's going to be the guy that's going to be doing this. So he's the one that needs to learn. I don't know why out of 25, why, what other reason out of 25 guys, he'd be yelling at me for playing rugby and not yelling at everybody else. I don't even know what rugby really is, you know, but they just had this big white ball and they were kicking it around. They always say if the coach isn't yelling at you, I mean, if you know, not paying attention to you, that's when you should worry, not when they're yelling at you. It's like right. when they're not, not talking to you, they've kind of already given, like, you, you yep. just might as well be gone. He was, yeah. he was adamant about why are all these guys out here screwing around, you know, playing rugby. To me, he was, you know, he was asking me that question. That's so funny. Maybe, maybe he saw it even before I saw it. Yeah. That, well, and I think that is a real. We, we don't talk about it a lot, but that's a real gift of coaches. They see things in others before others see it in themselves. And we typically talk about it on the athletic side, like, Hey, you're, you're actually a hurdler or you're actually a right. shot putter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we need to do more and maybe talk about it more about coaches who see it in other people to be a coach, to be a leader and help lift up our athletes that are out there. And, and what that does is that just continues the pattern of more coaches and more better coaches out there. So that's interesting. Maybe he, maybe he saw that. When you mentioned that, but you know, the day that one of the kids from, uh, I teach at high school, um, from our basketball team came out for track the first day, we had been probably working out for three weeks or a month before basketball season was over. And I turned to him and I said, Will, I'm so happy you're here. I need you to keep these guys organized. I need for you to keep these guys on task and on the ball. And um, because I guess to me, it was you know, automatically by default. And we didn't have any elections for team captains or anything like that. Like Will was supposed to be the one that was supposed to keep them on the straight and narrow or help me keep them on the straight and narrow until, you know, for the past two months, he's done so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That helps grow that the, the profession, which is, is always needed. So where, as you start finishing up your science and education degree and your career, uh, athletic career starting to, to wind down, what's the, the actual first step into I'm gonna call it real coaching. You were, you were doing, sounds like you were doing some coaching as a student athlete, but what, what about the, you know, the next step for. Yeah, just briefly when I was in college, I had younger siblings in high school. And so I helped out a little bit, just real informally. 
I'd try and show up at the meets when I didn't have meets. I applied for graduate school uh, for whatever reason. I was tired of school, but applied for graduate school just the same. And so was waiting on getting a master's degree and working on getting a master's degree. Um, worked at a school for as an assistant with my old high school coach for a year. Uh, and then as soon as I graduated with my master's degree and started teaching, I applied for the first job I could find and landed a head coaching job at the public schools here in town. Um, wound up hiring a former teammate who was a decathlete, which was really great because I could learn events and technique from him. Um, we were kind of friends and actually, although I was a steeplechaser and a distance guy, we got to training together. And so we did that for a while. We did that for a couple of years. Um, my wife liked it better at the time I met my wife. Uh, that's a whole different story and I'll go back on that. But uh, my wife liked it better when we were hanging out at the track than we were like rock climbing and biking because it seemed like I was always getting hurt doing something. And so um, had an assistant coach who was a decathlete and coached in public schools here in town for four or five years with him. And it was really good, helped me to learn, helped me to grow as a coach, as a teacher. Uh, yeah, so that's late, late 80s, early 90s, and uh, been doing it ever since. You know, when you become your first job, especially as a teacher, and this is speculation since I am not a teacher, no teachers in my family, close as I get is my wife is now substitute teaching, which makes me love teachers even more because I get to hear the stories. But when you're going in your first career like that, there's a lot to learn. You know, yes, you have been in school, but you haven't been the teacher before. So you're figuring out scheduling, you know, what your leadership style with these young kids are going to be. On top of that, you're now, you said you were the head coach for this first right. gig right off the bat. So that has its own learning curve. How did you adjust? How are you, you know, really growing fast in your teaching, but yet also having to be growing really fast in your coaching on the track? It was a crazy whirlwind. Honestly, it was a crazy whirlwind. You know, to me, I just thought, well, I love track and field, you know, to take the coaching side of it before the teaching side. I love track and field. I've been around track and field all my life, even though I'm, you know, 22, 23 years old, 24 years old in a head coaching job. I thought, you know, I can do this. I thought I could do this and I guess I did it. I don't know how well, but I, I thought I could do it. And, you know, my, like you say, leadership style, philosophy, all that. I really had no idea. I just knew that, well, I know that if I was, as an athlete, I wanted to be the hardest working, you know, son of a gun around. My teams are going to be the toughest, hardest working. All of us young coaches have that, you know, oh, we're just going to outwork everybody and outshow everybody. But coaching is, coaching is literally two thirds of stuff off the track and, you know, an hour and a half of stuff on the track. And um, it took me a while to learn that. And I'm still developing in all areas, still developing in all areas, but you know, I had no idea just about just normal administrative kind of duties and, you know, interactions with parents and administrators and athletic directors and assistant principals and, you know, meet officials. I, hmm. you know, I was completely blind. How, what were you doing? How were you doing help from others? So uh, Dell probably was still the coach at New Mexico. Did you call him up a lot? Was there a, a kind of a father figure coach in the other schools that maybe you started looking towards? I mean, we're talking about Albuquerque. So the Henry family is uh, exactly you know, over, right. overshadowing the whole town for good reason. So what, exactly what were you doing right. to help Matt, to reach out for help? Matt and Mark Henry were high school coaches. Obviously, their their brother, Pat, was a university coach. 
but the Henrys were the role model for all, have been the role model for all of us coaches, young coaches or coaches in the state. They are the first family of track and field in New Mexico. And I say that without reservations, all the way from Bub to, like I say, Pat, Matt, Mark, Tim, all of them now down to the kids, Kenny and Kurt and, you know, every last one of them. Um, so they're the first family. So if you wanted to, to have a, a great program, one thing you could do is watch, learn, listen, talk, and see how Matt and Mark or, or Tim, you know, Tim was the coach before me at, at the school that I was coaching at, see how they're doing it and how they did it and just, you know, try and replicate that in some form. And we're all different. We're all individuals. We all have our own style, but um, top quality programs. Yeah. First family, Henry's. Who's the Henry at uh, Cleveland High School? Kenny. Kenny. Yeah, I, I met him once. Yeah, yeah. yeah I went out yeah. there once. He's a good yeah. guy. I liked him. Yeah. Very he had good. Some, I went out to practice one day uh, at Cleveland and he was out there. And I think he had something like 200 kids on his team. I was just, I was blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so many yeah. kids. But uh, so sometimes, you know, it can't be understated. You said the first family of, of New Mexico track in, in spot on. I mean, who's right. going to argue with you uh if they are they're wrong, they're wrong. <laughs> the henry's just you know they they are the, they're the, they are the fingerprint of track and field uh in that state and specifically in the albuquerque area uh when you have people of that stature sometimes coaches especially first year second year third, you know i'm gonna call it rookie coaches there's this or of like, I can't talk to them. I, I, they're untouchable. How did you, if you had any of that, how did you get over if like, I'm just going to reach out and say, hey, man, I need some help. I got questions. You okay if I ask? How did you get over that? If, if, you, if you had it at all? I didn't have to at the time. The public schools in Albuquerque, Albuquerque Public Schools had two surface tracks in the whole town for, for 15 schools or 13 schools. And so on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we'd go share a track. Uh, and I would just watch everything that Matt did, you know, and he was a buddy. And so I wasn't, you know, secretly watching, but I was just soaking it in. I was just absorbing everything I could. I'd run my workouts and I'd see what he does and I'd see how he'd interact with his kids and I'd watch how, and other coaches too, you know, there's other great coaches at the time. We, uh, uh, the great thing about the state of New Mexico and hopefully a lot of states are this way is we have, um, you know, great communications between all of us. We like to share. Uh, we like to have it casual, like to have a good time. Um, I, I like to beat people as much as the next person does, but that doesn't mean that I want to see their kids do well. Um, I want to see them as coaches do well, want to learn from them, help them to grow. You know, I'm the old guy now, or one of the old guys now. So, you know, my responsibility is a little different. And so that doesn't mean I'm still not soaking some in from, from some of the new young guys, but I also have to be cognizant that, you know, my responsibility is to help the group along as well. So that was, you know, kind of uh, mentoring, if you will, on that side. What were you doing, if anything, at this point in regards to coaching education? Were you attending any clinics, books? Uh, we're probably still in the era where we don't have YouTube and video as much as we do today, but there were other opportunities possibly. Well, I remember even in college, you know, the track and field Omni book. I don't know if that rings a bell to oh you. My, come on. That's, that's in every coach's uh, library. Absolutely. I would highlight it. I'd read the workouts of Emil Zatopek and Jim Ryan and, yeah. just, you know, running in the bathtub or whatever it is, the 40 quarters <laughs> or running, you know, I would do that. And then every, I mean, I can turn my, the camera around, but you know, every book that's ever made is pretty much on the shelf and try to dig into a lot of them. Sure. Um, 
coaching education. We've had a pretty good coaches association here in New Mexico. Very good. People that we, we bring people to talk all the time. Um, and honestly, it's nice to hear from the guys from wherever, Ohio, Texas, California. We've got some good coaches here too. And just, you know, how, how do you do it in small school, rural New Mexico? How do you do it in medium school? How do you do it in private school? How do you do it in public school? How do you do it with boys and girls combined? How do you do it when you're the assistant coach and the head coach doesn't have the same philosophy as you? So there's all types of people that you, you you're not just learning from the guy that ran you know, that his four by four ran 309 in high school. That's, that's not the way it works. Just because uh, one coach had a 309 four by four doesn't make him the greatest coach around, you know? So. Yeah, I, I'm with you a hundred percent that, that 309. It's funny when you said that I immediately thought of uh, coach Irving down in uh, Houston, who we had on the podcast uh, who's run probably that fast, if not faster, uh, that is one way to do it. But what he's right. doing in Houston uh, might be com- not not only completely different to what we're doing in Albuquerque, but what we have right. to do in Los Alamos, Hobbs, uh, other towns right. that I can't even think of. Right? You're you're exactly right. What what about that program that you know is blessed to have 40, 50 kids, but has one coach? Uh, mm-hmm. What about the program that has not, no facility? You're exactly right. And you know you 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 touched on it, and I just want to uh, harp on it. The New Mexico Track and Field Coaches Association, one of the strongest coaches associates now there. Spencer Sealshot, great friend. I love the, the clinic you guys do. And I'm always amazed, you know, New Mexico track. So New, New Mexico is, is uh, uh, no, no um, spoilers here. It's not California, Texas, Florida, right. as far as volume and as far as number of kids and things like that and participation. But the athletes that come out of New Mexico and the coaches, I'm thinking about Curtis, the athlete, um, uh, Mario, the coach, uh, when I, when you go and look at who's been uh, inducted into the hall of fame, it's, it's yep. like, Oh wait, I know that name. Oh, hold on. I know this guy. I mean, it's, it's really something special. The culture there is really special for track and field. Well, you mentioned two names, Curtis, the decathlete. He was on my team. I coached Curtis and no. he's, my coach. he's my assistant coach right now. And so Curtis, no. Beach, I coached Curtis beach in high school. That was really, really fun. Worked with a number of good quality coaches here around town with Curtis on that. And then you say Mario. Mario Sustania was a PE teacher for a year and a half. We were on staff together at this high school. Get out. Before I was the head coach at Albuquerque Academy, I was the assistant for a few years. And Mario and I were both assistant oh. coaches here at Albuquerque Academy. Wow. So you mentioned two. I mean, you've hit three names right on the head so far. You know, the Henrys and Curtis and, and Mario. Hey, hey, um, out, you obviously out. know your track and field. You know well, your New Mexico history. And so I, I, I was going to say, and shout out to Spencer at New Mexico Track Coach. Come on, man. That guy, legend. Love him. Love yeah, him. he's a legend. I'm, I'm, I'm so also awesome. am former president of the Coaches Association about 15 or 20 years back myself. So, That's you know, awesome. we we're involved in coaching education for a long time. Love it. So what is the next step? You're there for how long at this public school? And you didn't say the name of it. I don't know. If, is it okay? Say I was coaching name. at Albuquerque, El Dorado. Yeah, okay. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't coach him, but some of the more prominent athletes there were people like Matt Tebow, if that rings a bell. He ran, you know, 847 in high school was number six all time on the two mile at one point. Um, you know, we had some good quality athletes. It just so happened that um, one of the one of my former track athletes at the University of New Mexico, a couple years older than me, was coaching here at this school. And he was kind of looking for a distance coach. And I thought to myself, well, you know, the private institution looks like it'd be kind of, you know, something fun and something challenging. And so I asked him about it. I wound up falling into this job. And after a year or two, became not only a coach, but a coach and a teacher at this school. 
And um, in hindsight, I mean, really, really blessed to allow for my three children to come to a, you know, a private academic institution that my wife and I probably wouldn't have been able to afford if you know, I wasn't teaching here. And so um, it, all, it all kind of fell into place for us. And so I went from Albuquerque, El Dorado four or five years over to um, Albuquerque Academy and have been here ever since, since uh, started coaching here in the fall of 95 and started teaching here in the fall of 97. So let's see, I literally had to start thinking about counting. So 27 years? 27 years, 27 years as the coach here, cross country and track and field. And like I said, in my opening statement, just kind of been doing the same thing for year after year. Yeah, that is fascinating. What have you seen? So 27 years at one institution, regardless if it's a high school, college, it don't matter. That is a long time. So things have changed in 27 years. Uh, some good, some bad. What mm-hmm. have you seen, you know, starting back 27 years ago, coaching, what has changed? Not, and maybe I'll let you take the route here, whether it's specifically at Albuquerque Academy or just in the general body of coaching and, and teaching high school, what has changed for the positive in 27 years? Well, you know, our state championship used to feel like a normal track mate at some point. And through the state association, uh, I don't know if you know Mark Kosky from the from, yeah. Great. Good Mark fun. was here at the time. He took over and ran the state track meet. He, he works at the NF, right? National Federation of High Schools, NFHS. He took over the state track meet, kind of made it more of a first class event, just with timing and display and organization. Uh, and so the activities association has probably put on a better state track meet. Like I said, the coaches are our coaches association has grown. Coaches education has gotten better. Um, so all those things have changed for the positive. I, I do know this, Mike. I know that uh, if we're talking specifically track and field, it's not just Albuquerque Academy. Or you said you went over to Cleveland High School. Every school has great, great kids and great families. Um, poor schools, rich schools, urban schools, rural schools. There's great kids and great families, and so we're not unlike country. I mean, we got great kids to work with. We're always looking for more of them. I mean, every one of us high school coaches and probably every college coach could use another four by four leg, you know, another 50 flat quarter miler for the boys is always good because you don't have enough of them if you have any at all. Uh, So, I mean, that we're always looking for that. I always like to dig in when we have our high school coaches here on what's unique about their state not only maybe there's some events and i do know of at least one event that's unique uh to most states that's the javelin uh but also the uniqueness of qualifying for state everyone does it a little different you know uh when we had coach urban from uh texas on you know there's only two per uh, i think it's district always get area districts regionals all those kind of names mixed up but there's only two per event that go on to the state meet so it's eight people go in the hundred and the 200 things like that Talk to us about New Mexico and how you guys qualify. Well, first start with what are the uniquenesses of New Mexico schedule? Like I already mentioned the Javelin, which is, you know, I think we're only in about 22, 24 states right now for Javelin for high school. Uh, any other events that are unique there in, in uh, New Mexico? And they're not unique yeah. to you because you do them every year, but. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'd like to say that uh, as of last year, we're probably unique in the fact that we have the most events. And, and I'm uh, not sure if that's 100% accurate, but pretty darn close. A couple of years ago, for, for years, we didn't have the four by eight. And just last year, we adopted the four by eight. Okay. And we we're just pushing through coaches association. So we have 20 total events now, Mike. Wow. And uh, 
So just to go through them, all the sprints, the one, two, the four, mid-distance, eight, 16, 32, right. two hurdle races, the one tens and the three hundreds, um, the jumps, long, triple, yep. high yep. jump, pole vault, the throws, shot put, discus, and javelin. We don't have hammer like New York yeah. has, but um, and we don't have steeplechase like New York has. Right. But we have five relays, which is really, really unusual. So see if you can name them here. All right, I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna I'm gonna knock out the two obvious: four by one and four by four. Yes, sir. Uh, the other obvious is you're, you just mentioned four by eight. Yes, sir. I'm gonna throw in the four by two because several mm-hmm. states have that, including Illinois. And I was just at Drake Relays; they have it. Now I'm a little lost. I don't think it's gonna be a four by a mile. So it has. To, you know, another common one is a sprint medley. So I'm gonna go with sprint medley. Now, how do you run sprint medley though? Because that's also its own controversy, right? One, two. So yeah, we one, run one, two, four. Medley. We run sprint medley, not the short sprint medley, but the regular sprint medley, which is the two, two, four, eight yeah. with a mm-hmm. cut in mm-hmm. after the twos. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what is also kind of unique for us is in our four by two, we do two, two, and then cut in. We don't go lanes all the way. And so that's kind of unusual. Ah, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we have 20 events. So that's, that's pretty In unusual. the four by two, you cut in after the second? After the second. That That's, I, I like that better, I think, because again i was just at drake and they run four by two and they run at lanes all the way and i think that's how we do it here in illinois as well i believe um you know when you do a four by two in the lanes the stagger is like a mile long like if you're in lane one it looks like lane eight is in another stadium uh after the bat and so you really don't kind of get the race until you get to that last leg you really don't know who's kind of really still in the mix man so i like that cut in yeah well that's good but you know what the chaos on that third exchange. Oh, sure. Crazy. Because you have some kids standing out in lane eight because his, his his buddy's coming off the turn towards the back and people are trying to scoot down and people are moving out and switching. It is, I mean, it's it can be a train wreck. So with that many events and that many, I'm going to call them sprint-based events. So the four by one, four by two, four by four, sprint medley. Uh, you can argue amongst yourself with a four by eight, but it's going to have some sprint. Like there's going to be plenty of 400 people that run it and things like that. Uh, is there ever a dilution? I mean, that's a lot of sprinting. There's a, there's a great, great dilution. There's a mm-hmm. pure dilution, especially because like you said, we're New Mexico. We're not California. We're not Texas. My school is 650 kids. We compete in a, in a conference that's, or in, in a classification that's 800 to about 1200 because we're a private institution, mm. but um, 650 kids. And so we need the numbers and yeah, you get to, you get to track meets and um, for a lack of better terms, if I run an A team four by four, I kind of need to run a B team four by two, you know, and mm-hmm. because I just don't have enough horses in order to cover everything. And same thing goes for state. I might have a state and we'll get back to the state qualifying, how you qualify for state, but I might have a, a, a medley relay qualified and I can't put my aces in there, you know, just because I can't use them everywhere. You know, I just don't have enough. I got, you know, 650 kids in my school. How many events can a kid run at a meet? Um, they can do five total events, not run, but they can do four run, one field, or yeah. some combination. They can't do five field or five sprint. Oh, okay, so if you have a stud hundred meter person, they can't do the one, two, four by one, four by two, and four by four. No, but they could throw in the long jump in, in place. But they can it. do a field. So one of them has to be a field if they're yeah. going to do five. Yeah, got it. But they can do four running events and not do a four field. running yeah. one field, three, two, two, three. Gotcha, one gotcha. Field. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so talk to us. Here is something unique. I, I think this is unique about New Mexico. I don't know of any other state. I'm, I'm sure there's some other states that do it this way. Talk to us about how you qualify actually for the state meet. Yeah, like I said, we're, we're, we're a 4A division out of five classifications. 
and we have and all the divisions have qualifying marks. So, for example, if you can run 202 in the 800 meters, you know you can make it to state in our classification. 203 this year actually got easier. So, let's see, you run uh, 203 flat, you make it to state in the 800 meters, which people would say, "Oof, that's you know pretty easy." You're in, and you could do that in March, and then run in not run another 800 meters until you get to the state championship in May next week. And there you go. Uh, we also are broken up not only by classifications, but by, by districts is what we call it. And so that's our next round down where we put, you know, five, six, seven teams in a district. And if you place first or second at your district meet, then you can qualify to state. Regardless, uh, state regardless of time. Yeah, you know, state championships generally shooting for 15, 18 kids in every event. But when they don't get the state qualifying marks right, or they have a strong year or a weak year, you could be in a state event that has 10, 11, 12, or one that has 22 or 23 or something like that. So it's not primarily based on that district. If, if we put a pause on that first and second place also qualifies, it, it, that, that's a, this is not meant to be offensive, but it's just another meet. It's another championship meet, but you, you're already, the majority of kids are probably already qualified for state at that point because of the time qualification. We have our district championship tomorrow and pretty much what I presume to be all my state scorers are already in the state meet mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as long as they stay healthy. I mean, I'd like to get one kid here and one kid over there. And then there's also that kid on the cusp that's really hardworking. You know, can we afford to download our event and get in a second hurdler or, mm -hmm. you know, download an event over here and you know, get this guy that's been three inches off in the long jump to, to qualify in the long jump by taking out my A long jumper or something like that. So yeah, um, yeah, there's so, like you said, it's, it's the district is a district championship, but it, yeah. it doesn't have the championship aura of, you know, state or, or any other big championship meets. I would imagine since you're doing a descending list like that, which I actually quite like to be honest with you i mean there is something my favorite meets in the whole year are always a conference meet because you know the whole team is coming together for a common cause so you, you you tend to see things that normally don't happen the kid that jumps out of their butt and hits a pr and the long jump to get two points and that could be the two points that wins it so i i, I do love conferences and districts and things like that and of course the state and national meets um but on this descending order type list uh do you have like we're in NCAA when they do that for indoors? So there must be a, the weekend before. Do you have like uh, declarations? So one kid, so technically a kid could qualify for 10 events throughout the year, but then yeah. can only do the, you know, the four plus one, let's call it. Um, so you have a declaration weekend to start finding out who's actually, I guess not who's actually going to state, right? Because you already know that. Right. It's more about what, where you rank. Like, oh, I was coming in 12th, but, you know, four kids decided they're not going to do it because of other events. So now my kid's ranked eighth. Right. So yes and no. Um, yes, because you can only do five events at state. And the great example you mentioned, Curtis Beach, who I coached here. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a kid that qualified in about 20 events. 11, <laughs> 11, 11 events. Yeah, 11 events he qualified in. And it would have been 12, but I didn't let him do the triple jump. I wanted him to stay healthy. <laughs> and he would have. Um, but yeah, so the week before state, I had to pick the five that he was going to be in and basically tell everybody that these were gonna be the five. And our, but I said, yes and no. A kid can be limited to five events, um, but he could be listed in five individual events. He could scratch out of any one of those events in our state without penalty to run one of the relays. And so I could play a little smoke screen and 
leave my quarter miler in the open four, even if I was going to run him in the four by four, you know, or leave him in the long jump, even if I wasn't going to run him in the long jump is, you know, as long as one of the other ones was a relay. Hmm. So it's, it's yes to no. I don't know if it's the most fair or the best way to do it. We have enough qualifiers where everybody of quality has already been in. And so it's not a true descending order list where you said like, oh, you scratched your guy. You had no intention of running him. And my guy that's number 17 didn't get to go to state. And right. so it doesn't work that way in our state. And so you're not, because if it did, I think we'd need to be a little firmer on the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but we have state qualifying standards. It's not a descending order list. And yeah. so if you make the standard. That's a better way of saying it. Yeah. How do you, on like the sprints and jumps where there's a wind gauge capability, do you have like, do they have to all be wind gauged or is it zero? Okay. Zero. We don't have a mate with a wind gauge except for state championship. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. And as a matter of fact, you mentioned Joe Franklin at the beginning. I don't know if that was before we came on air or not. He called me the other day and said, my wind gauge is broken. Do you have one? I said, no, we don't use wind gauges around here. Yeah, so. You're like, I'll take your broken one. That'll be more than what I got now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about hand time versus automatic time? We're we're now after you know for the past few years we've been everything has to be FAT. Okay, everything has to be FAT. Yeah. It has to be a certified meet in the state. There's a couple meets outside the state that are certified as well, and that's a point of contention too. I mean, can you go to Phoenix or can you go to to Lubbock to run at lower elevation in comparison? Because the majority of Mexico's, I mean, thirty five hundred all the way up to you mentioned Los Alamos all the way up to seventy two hundred feet okay. elevation. So our qualifying standards, uh, you know, kind of reflect that. Right. And some of your outlying, you know, closer to the border uh, schools, it's easier for them maybe to get to Lubbock and Phoenix right. than it is to come right. into Albuquerque or something. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned Curtis. I'm so, I didn't know that you coached him and I love him to death. I, he's just a, a precious human being. I, I love him. I, I love that he's back. I didn't know that. I, last I heard, he was still in North Carolina. It's been a few years. So uh, I love that he's back. So let's talk about this because this that's a fairly unique, you know, um, I'm going to call him a unicorn. And right. uh, if you know Curtis Beach, you know, he is a unicorn unicorn because not only was he a decathlete i think that automatically makes you a little bit special uh he was a really good decathlete and he was a unique decathlete in the sense of not only could he long jump really stinking far and run pretty freaking fast he was a really good 1500 meter and that's that's no i don't know if i can name another decathlete and say that <laughs> what, what he, was it well good point on that 1500 meters he, he ran at the Nike Cross Nationals. Yeah, exactly. Name another decathlete, another world-class decathlete that did that. I love it. What's it like, you know, Curtis is the kind of athlete that most of us, regardless of level, high school, college, it does not matter here, uh, that we would, you know, we aspire to, we'd love to have 10 of those type of people. Uh, but a lot of times they are unicorns. They're, they're once in a lifetime type athletes. And maybe Curtis was like that. Uh, what's it like? how early was it identifiable that, Oh, he's a little different. Like not only is he good, but he another level. And what were some of the things that maybe you had to change as a coach to help him continue developing into his, uh, unicornness. <laughs> I'm going to use, I, I like that. Many word. Curtis stories. Um, but <laughs> what was it like and how was he different? Um, I remember, I think it was his sophomore year in high school, a local newspaper reporter came over to practice because they wanted to do a feature on him, you know, put him in the in the in the journal and um, do a little feature, take a couple pictures. And so there they are. The, the kids are running. I think it was 150s that day, you know, a series of 150s. And the reporter comes to me and says, OK, which one's Curtis? And I said, just watch. And this is before they ran. And I said, just watch. 
And so all the kids are just kind of hanging out and chatting and kind of just, you know, poking fun at one another and stuff. And we get ready to run our first 150. And literally like 20 seconds before the first one, just a normal practice, 20 seconds before the first 150, Curtis starts to go like this. And then he gets on the track and he gets in position and does all this. And I said, that's Curtis. You know what I mean? It's like, time to run. I'm getting zoned in. And all the rest of the kids were just like, you know, uh, is coach going to say go or what's going to happen? And they're just still looking around like normal high school kids. But just a, a, an incredibly focused, you know, individual. From the day he stepped on campus, he claims that he came to school so that he could be coached by me, um, which was, it's, I mean, it's kind of really a nice honor. Um, but from the day he stepped on campus, all he wanted to do was be awesome, huh. you know, for lack of better terms. All he wanted to do was, and he wouldn't let anything get in his way. I mean, there were literally five or six hour days where he just worked track and field with me, with off-campus coaches, with some private coaches. We worked that all out together. Um, I remember another day, it was, it was uh, January. It was like January 20th. I remember it really clearly. I was walking from the parking lot down to my to my office, and um, sure enough, Curtis, one of his, uh, one of my assistant coaches was a fireman, uh, and so he couldn't come to practice all the time. You know, he's working whatever the fireman schedules are, two on, two off, whatever that would be. It was seven o'clock in the morning in January, and Curtis and his assistant coach uh, Frank are out working the high jump for height in January. I mean, in January you run hills. In January, you run strides and sweats and gloves. And, and, but in January, in seven o'clock in the morning outside, you don't, at 21 degrees, it was 21. You don't usually, you're not usually jumping for height. You know what I mean? And so the bar was up to whatever, six something, you know, and here he is jumping for height on a January morning at seven o'clock in the morning when it's 21 degrees, because he has a meet to go to next week. And it was just like, they didn't care. One, his coach didn't care. Um, and two, Curtis didn't care. They just had to get it in. I mean, you had to get it in. So you got it in when you could get it in. And that's what they were doing. It's hard to jump high 21 degrees on a January morning. You know, it's hard to jump high. I, yeah, I was gonna say you could put the period after high. Yeah, it's just hard right. to jump high. Did, did he come to you guys? already as like a, I'm gonna call it a multi. I know we don't necessarily have the decathlon maybe back as a eighth, ninth grader, but, or what, did he come as a sprinter or a, you know, distance guy? Cause he, you know, he's again, a heck of a half miler and miler. He was coached by a local high school coach during the club era when he was a young boy or a couple of them. One of them was uh, Sandy, his aunt. And another one was a gentleman we called coach Chick, Jim Chicarello. I don't know if that name rings a bell. They were his club coaches when he was 10, 11, 12 years old. He was, uh, uh, for age group, he was national caliber in the mid distances, the 800 meters. And his coach just challenged him. Why don't you try the hurdles? Why don't you, after they did that, you, you ever thought about throwing the shot put, you know? And so that's, I, I, I'm not to credit for inspiring him to become a decathlete. Um, his club coaches, like I say, Coach Chick and his aunt Sandy, Coach Sandy, they were the ones that kind of put him on that track. And by the time he came here, he knew what he wanted to do. And he was already zoned in on, on doing it and not letting anything stand in his way. That's an interesting process there. You know, he was already as an age group kid, one of the top. So a lot of 
I may be speaking out of turn here, but a lot of coaches and kids and their parents, you know, it's, it's a working force together when they're showing that kind of promise, that age, you, you pour gas on it. You stick to the, uh, you said, you said mid distance. So let's say eight mile. He's going to, he is a miler coach. He's going to come to Albuquerque Academy and become a better miler, but don't, don't, we ain't talking long jump shot, put high jump, get out of here. But instead you said his coaches were like, well, why don't you try long jumping? Why don't you try shot putting? It, which ended up leading him to become a world-class decathlete. And I'm not sure, maybe, I don't know, uh, but I'm not sure he could have been a world-class 800, 1500 meter person. He could have. Yeah, maybe. I have no doubt he could have. And that's me. We had a history, a long history of distance and mid-distance at our school. And I'd like to you know, feel like I've been part of that. Mm -hmm. um, but I never tried to change his dream. It was his dream to become a world-class decathlete. Right. So I was there to serve him and help him. And ultimately, Mike, I have to credit, like I say, his club coaches, they were very good. Mm -hmm. um, we had coaches from around the city that we kind of, I say we, Curtis mostly and his family, but with some guidance from me, we kind of hand selected to be his event coaches. I was really mostly, and I'm not disregarding the amount of work I did with them. I was mostly his manager, you know, and then I was his for lack of better terms, his fitness coach, I would coach him, you know, more like 400, 1500 meters, 800 meters. And I would coordinate his weight training so that we weren't doing shot put weight training with his shot put coach and hurdle weight training with his hurdle coach. You know, we all got on the same page there and said, hey, let's get one set of, you know, plyometrics and conditioning. And so I kind of took care of his or helped him to take care of his conditioning and then we had event coaches that helped him in, in different areas. He had a jumps coach. He had a throws coach. He had a th hurdles coach. He had a vault coach. All really, really competent and all people that he trusted, which is really important. And yeah. we all worked together. And I didn't all feel offended like, oh, you're squeezing in on the best guy around and he's my guy and stay away from him. No, I, I thought he was my guy because I wanted him to excel for him mostly, but for all of us. Yeah, definitely not minimizing that. Um, you said, you know, the manager role, because that is critically important for a multi. I mean, it's it's really hard if you're not going to have one coach like a Mario Satania that we were right. talking about earlier who can coach all 10 events. He doesn't need another coach to come in and do the throws or the 15, et cetera. Uh, but when you're the singular coach for a multi, you understand the volumes and intensities. And like you said, you're not doubling up on weights and uh, central nervous system training, et cetera. If you are going to have the team approach for, for coaching, that's when it can get dangerous. If you don't have that person who says, Hey, we need to coordinate our work or he dies. Uh, you know, we we're right. doing him a disservice. So no, absolutely. I also love the lack of ego that you expressed there about, you know, this wasn't about like you, you, you believe in your, I could tell when you answered, when I said he could have made, you know, possibly he could have been a, a world-class 815. You're like, Oh yeah, I have no doubt. So you had that thought of like, Hey man, if I just got this kid and all we did was train 815, like we, we could set the world on fire, but instead your ego was out of it. And it was more of like, this is his dream. Okay. Well then what part can I play in his dream? Like, how can I help? That's a, that's a, a egoless attitude. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not uh, overestimating. I mean, high school, I think he could have run 148, you know, he, he ran 150, but I think he could burn, he ran 150 off of, you know, a day and a half a week of training, you know, of, of 800 meter training. So I think he could have run 148. Um, and yeah, so, but, and I can coach, I can coach plenty of 5'8", 5'10", 6' high jumpers. I can't coach, you know, 6'10", high jumpers. That's just not who I am, yeah. you know? And I, it's easy for me to admit that. My field of expertise is not 
coaching high school 610 high jumpers. I, I don't do that, you know. But yeah, you know, can I get a kid to go from 5'4 up to 5'8? Sure, I can. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we need kids that want to improve and want to do better. That's you right. know, and I, so I'm not saying that to knock myself or my own ability. I'm proud of my own coaching ability and confident in it. But yeah, I'm not a 6'10 high jump coach for high school kids. You know, that's not me. Yeah. So expound on that you know we'll put curtis to the side he, I, he's listening right now going gosh well these guys quit talking about me I, I know him he's like come on just stop it stop it so you've been there for 20 plus years uh as you've said you know you're kind of um not not truman show but you know kind of uh, same thing every day right I'm a, I'm a high school teacher i coach cross country and then track and then i go into summer and yada yada just kind of you know the same thing how do you keep yourself from getting complacent what, what are the things that you do to kind of whether it's stay on the edge of coaching you know as far as that or just motivation like how do you that the, the how does the 21st year get you as excited as that first year got you excited how do you how do you work on that a uh, couple, couple of ways. One, I don't know. I've always loved track and field, cross country. I've always loved it. I'd say I always love working with kids too, but I just love the sport. And I'm, it's like completely me, you know, I'm just into it completely. And that doesn't take away from the fact that I'm super into, you know, being, trying to be a great husband, a Christian man, a good father, but, you know, track and field is my thing. If, um, if the Henrys are the first family, we'd love for the kids to be the second family of track and field. And we yeah. can talk about them at some point. Uh, so that's it. And I like to see kids get better and improve. I want to see them, you know, reach their goals, you know, strive for the stars and grab one and pull it down if they can. We've had success at our school in, in every realm of track and field and cross country. And I'm proud of that, that we've, during my tenure, we've broken every school record. Um, in a 65-year history of our school. Wow. And during my tenure, we've won every event at the state championship, and we've broken multiple state records. And we've sent kids to the university level, although that's not the main goal of high school athletics. We've sent kids to the university level in almost every area. And honestly, I've had a lot of help. I've had a lot of really, really good assistant coaches, some of them that are teacher coaches here at school, some of them that work in the private sector, some of them that have been parents, some of them that have been, I think I'm probably up to close to 50 former athletes that have coached either for me or with me or coached at local high schools or coached at the university level. So super, super proud of that too. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I kind of feel like this is the hub of track and field. In, yeah. in our, and that doesn't take away from Joe and what he's doing at the university, right. but I feel like we're the, you know, maybe it's my own corner of the world. But I kind of view it as the old center of the universe, you know, if that makes any sense. Hey, that is a coaching tree I love. It's one thing to send kids on to university. And then honestly, that is the goal, but not necessarily to compete in track. Like go on to the next level where it's in the workforce or on the, in the education setting. Uh, but to have the number of coaches come out of your program, that, that says a lot because, you know, th they don't leave your program going, man, thank goodness track is over. Like it was cool and all, but man, just that coach catch was just a, I'm good to be done with track and field. And instead it's like, it's people that are going, you know what, this was such a great experience. Not only do I maybe want to do this in college, but maybe after I, I want to keep coach, like I want to do what he did. Like I had such a great experience with coach catch. I, I want to be the next coach catch. That's a coaching tree right there, man. That's, that's something to be proud of. Uh, two, two more subjects before we wrap up here today coach catch before we uh hit the record button we did talk about maybe one of the best examples you can give of how i know what kind of moral and leadership father that you are uh and, and obviously we don't have mom here but 
she's obviously a, a big part of this as well. Right exactly. Of course she is. Exactly. Talk to us about your, your kids and uh, specifically, you know, where they went to school and what they're doing now. I was, for, I, my wife and I, Lisa, we have three kids. I was fortunate enough to, to have my kids come to school with me during their grade six through grade 12 years. Cool. My oldest daughter, Lauren, is now 28 years old, and she's an attorney here in town. She ran track and cross country for me. Um, at the time, I wasn't the girls cross country or track coach, but she ran track and cross country here. Um, wound up doing a little bit of distance and then ultimately changing to the javelin and the discus her last couple of years. Wow. It was so, so fun to watch her compete. Um, she wasn't uh, had no desire to be a college athlete but really enjoyed her participation in high school. Awesome. Like I said, she went on to the university and uh, now she's in a practicing attorney here in town. Wow. Super, super proud of her. Um, she's awesome. And then my two boys both ran on my teams, ran for me from grade six on basically into grade 12. Uh, and then I handed them off to Ralph Lindemann and Ryan Cole at the, universe, at the US Air Force Academy. Uh, two wonderful men. Uh, we could, my wife and I could not ask more for their yes. experience of being guided by RL who passed away here um, a couple months back and we miss him dearly. Just a, just a great, great man. Um, my son, my youngest son, and I'll get to both of them here in just a minute. My youngest son after RL passed away uh, had a really, really strong statement about him. He said, of God, and he loved to win track meets. Mm. And so, so, so. We're, um, we miss RL um, and Ryan Cole's taking over for, for RL and he's doing a good job at the Air Force Academy. My older son, Eric, graduated last year in 2021. He was a half miler, uh, 150 half miler that ran for Air Force Academy. And then he's been helping out with the track team for this year before he goes to his assignment here next month. And then my younger son, AJ, is a 1500 meter man who just finished up you know, his second to last track meet at the Drake Relays last week. And um, my wife is at his probably final home meet today. Wish I could be there, but um, you know we got business to take care of. This work thing gets in the way of a good, you know, this work thing track gets in the way of a good track meet to go to. So, yeah, those that's my family. Couldn't be more proud of them. Yeah, you know, service academies are just a whole different level of you know not only just to get into a service academy, but to go through and then serve our, serve our country. I mean, it's just amazing. I was honored and blessed, Ralph Lindemann. I consider a friend, uh, and to have the entire staff on the podcast last year. So it was great just to see. In fact, here's the kind of leader, and you already know this, uh, Adam. Here's the kind of leader Ralph was. I reached out to Ralph to be a guest on the podcast, and he said I'll only do it with one caveat. I mean, he was it was very like either you, you do this or we. Just don't do it at all and I was like okay sure well you know I'm, I'm down for a request he's like I have to have my whole staff I mean that was his, he was like I have to have Ryan and Devin was there at that time of course um uh, of course I'm blanking and he's gonna get mad at me the pole vault coach Scotty Scotty thank you who another Albuquerque guy and drink yeah we were, we were, we're teammates at the University of New Mexico Scotty. oh yeah yeah it's great yeah I love him so much that I forgot his name I'm sorry Scotty don't 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 hurt me man I'm sorry uh but yeah it's great people and again you know to have uh children that go through that I mean again that just that's a great example of you to be real frank you and you and mom <laughs> I don't ever want to discount mom man absolutely uh last subject here before we wrap up so uh, I got to visit you know during one of my trips to Albuquerque I went on Albuquerque Academy's campus it's beautiful uh, I love you know they're 
tracks are amazing, but at the end of the day, they're 400 meter tracks, right? It's all about the setting. You know, what are the trees? What's around it? And most tracks are in the middle of, you know, nothing sometimes. But Albuquerque's was, uh, Academy was gorgeous. You know, there's a lot of tree lining there. It's just amazing. But recently, you've had a pretty major upgrade to the track. Talk to us about that. This is exciting. Yeah, so for 32 years, we had a surface here at Albuquerque Academy. About 12 years ago, we scraped out lane one, put in a new drain, put in some new material in lane one, and then kind of sealed the whole thing. And that was kind of a Band-Aid for us. Um, we brought on a new uh, head of school, and she wanted to upgrade some areas. And one of the first places she picked was our, our track. And so now we have a beautiful nine lane Mondo track with uh, full D zones filled in, nice runways going in both directions, uh, state of the art track. The, the other thing, like you say, is the aesthetics behind it, the setting with the trees, the pines and the cottonwoods and then yeah. the mountains in the background, make it for just a wonderful place to have a track meet. And then one addition that a, that a lot of people disregard or don't really think of, our track, our, our campus is 900 acres, which we're very, very fortunate. We're very blessed. Um, I have a 5K course on campus that can go off campus that doesn't cross a sidewalk or anything. Wow. Um, but we have a fence around our campus, but on the interior of our campus, we really have no fencing. And so you can literally walk from sitting under a tree to checking in with the clerk to getting on the track and not have to go through a hop a fence or worry about an attendant checking to see if you have your wristband on or you know how do you get from here to the bathroom or whatever we're open and it just makes for a wonderful way to run a track meet if you're an athlete if you're a coach fan that you kind of have this free access to walk around from the field you know from the shot put over to watch the 110s and from the 110s over to the concession stand from the concession stand over to the to the bathroom without you know having to go jump over fences and do stuff like that and so um, people love to come to our place because of that I love to share it I'm grateful for our administration for kind of making us one making our kids our track kids one of the PE kids one of the priorities and um, yeah we're first class it's really and we're first class it's really nice. I love it. Well, we're recording this on the uh, the 6th of May, but you you aren't listening until roughly the 30th, so it may even be June, and you heard Coach uh, allude to the state meet is next week. Give us a preview and so that we can check and see how did it go for you, Coach. What's got you excited coming into the state meet? What's got me excited is, one, just you know seeing great kids excel, first and foremost, uh, boys and girls, our school and all the rest, and so I wish them all the best of luck. We have a rich tradition. Like I said, I've been here a little over 25 years. Um, the last time that we didn't get a state trophy was in the 90s, uh, surprisingly. So we've been first, second, or third since wow. the 90s. I mean, we have a long-standing streak uh, of which for boys track and field, I think in since the 90s, it's 14 first place trophies. Um, and so we have an amazing history and amazing streak, but we have some good teams. Although we're a small state of whatever, 2.8 million, we have some good teams in our division. Uh, last year, we got beat by the Los Alamos Hilltoppers and Steven Montoya runs a good program up there. Really proud of him. He's a good friend. Um, but hopefully we're going to try and kick him in the teeth next week. Uh, and that's, you know, I'm just saying that straight up. Our goal is to win the state title. I don't know if we can. I would say they're the favorites and we're probably favored for a trophy again. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to duke it out and see who comes out to be on the top. 
I don't coach our girls, but our girls are strong too. And probably their formidable opponent is also Los Alamos Hilltoppers. And so wow. it seems to always come down to us and another team. And a lot of times us in Los Alamos and um, we're going for it. Hopefully, awesome. you know, we can re-record a little edit with a big smile on my face <laughs> at the end, but I'll be smiling either way. First, yeah. second, third, you know, I'll be smiling either way because um, we got great kids. It's been fun to work with them and we're going to try like mad to do our best. Awesome, man. Well, we can't wait. We're rooting for you. Uh, we can't wait to see how it comes out and to add to another trophy. I mean, that that's a heck of a streak, my friend. And I think that's a big testament to not only you as the head coach and the leader there of the program, but as you mentioned, all these other alums and all these other amazing coaches that you've had come through to help you uh, build on that tradition. You don't, I, I know you would say this, you don't do it alone. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a bigger uh, network and um, environment that takes to, to win those kind of uh, streaks with trophies. So uh, uh, what a great testament to you as a leader. And we're just so thankful for what you do there at Albuquerque Academy, what you do in the uh, Albuquerque, greater Albuquerque city and the state. Cause again, it's one of the top it's a, I tell you what people, if you think it's California and Texas and then everybody else, you're missing out on a real gym, uh, New Mexico track coaches association. The coaches there are just, uh, they're phenomenal. Uh, it, it's amazing. And so that was why it was important for us to, to have a, a representative on the podcast for that. And to talk about that amazing new, uh, facility, the surface that you got going on, man, it's, uh, it's an exciting time and you're doing a, an amazing job there, coach. Well, thank you. And promise me, we're going to touch base again as we get suited up with all of our new extras for our track where we're looking at hurdles and pits and boards and all that kind of stuff. And so that's hopefully next on the list for us. Well, you know where to find us <laughs> and we would be honored coach. So um, Adam, again, thank you so much. You know, again, uh, I sign this off the same way every time, but literally the most valuable thing you can ever give me beyond orders and things like that, which I'm always humbled when schools choose Gill Athletics equipment, but it's your time. And so, you know, I'm just so thankful as a teacher. I know how busy you are. In fact, I don't know how busy you are. I just know you're extremely busy. So to give me time and give us time here to talk about your journey as a, in this amazing profession, I'm just so thankful and so grateful uh, that you'd come on and, and trust us and be your authentic self today. I wish you well. Thank you, sir. Have a great one. Mike, what an incredible journey Coach has been on. So awesome to hear their story in their own words. Tremendous proof of the positive effects coaches make on a daily basis. Help us spread the word of this great journey by sharing on your favorite social media channel. And don't forget to take a minute to rate and review the podcast. You just might get a shout out on a future episode. That's it for today. Join us next week when we'll connect you with another amazing coach.